Hello. We're glad that you've joined us. We're glad that you're interested in spiritual matters. My name is Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ, and we're disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. And we're extremely glad that you're today as we're in the midst of a very important conversation uh, on Reconnect. And today we'd like to talk about Reconnect in terms of support. The reason we're talking about Reconnect is because people have a connection. Very few, if anybody, is really a complete hermit. If you're listening to this today, you've, you've gotten it because you found it on the internet. Maybe you found it from a friend or, or something like that. Uh, anyway, however you found this, uh, it's through some kind of connection. If you did not want to be involved with anybody at all, you'd have to go be a, a hermit somewhere in the mountains or, or in the hills or something like that. And very few people live that way. That most of us want to share our lives to some degree or another with other people. We want to share our life with our husband or wife, with our family, with our friends and people like that. Unfortunately, the, the story of our, our modern era seems to be the story of alienation. Alienation seems to be everywhere. It seems very difficult after the relationship, doesn't it? There are a lot of reasons that lead to greater separation and alienation rather than connection and community. We could spend all kinds of time and and maybe other opportunities can talk about isolation, technology, selfishness, fear, and many of these other reasons. But opposed to dwelling on the idea of alienation right now, let's consider for a few minutes why is it it that we're seeking connection. Well, we like to suggest, based upon the Bible, that we see connection because we're made for creation. That in Genesis 1, 26-27, that man was made in the image of God. Male and female, he created them. And that, as we can see in John chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 17, Colossians 2, verse 9, 2 Peter 2, and verse 21, others, that God is, is not one person, but one in three persons, one in relational unity among the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That in Acts 17, 24-28, that we people were made to seek after God, though He is not far from us, because we live in Him, and in Him have uh, our being. And that as we see in Genesis 2, 8 and 20, 18, 24, it's not good for man to be alone. And that man was made for relationships. And therefore, if we're made in the image of God who is in relationship, we should be expected to look for relationship as well. Now, that alienation issue comes because of sin. In Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, and Titus 3 and verse 3, we, we see how we're dead in sin, that we're hostile to one another, hated and being hated in turn. That we find ourselves in Ephesians 2, 11, without God, without hope, without a nation, without, while in sin. That this sin problem leads to separation between us and God and also with one another. And it leads to a very distressing result, where we all are aching and in pain inside but we don't trust each other. We're afraid to, to reach out and to find wholeness and to find the unity that we're searching for. But thanks be to God, the good news of Jesus, that God now offers reconciliation with us through Jesus, as we can see in Romans 5, 6-11, through 11, that while we were enemies, Christ died for us, that we could be reconciled back to Him. And that not just can, that we as individuals can be reconciled back to God, but that we can also be reconciled back to one another. And that we're supposed to find that reconciliation in Jesus' body, which is the church, which was set up in God's wisdom in Ephesians 3, 10-11, uh, through the eternal purpose of Jesus Christ our Lord, 
that in Jesus, what we share in a united faith in Christ is greater than anything that might divide us. Any racial boundaries, class boundaries, ethnic boundaries, sports team affiliations, anything like that. None of that is more important than what we can share in Christ in that shared faith. Does that mean that when you become a Christian, you're perfect? No. Uh, there ever a need of forgiveness in 1 John 1 and verse 9. But in the church is a place where we can share in life together to be reconnected with God and with each other. In seeking connection and reconnection, we're really looking for love and acceptance. We can see in 1 John 4, 7-21 that God is love, and we love because God has loved us and therefore should love one another. In Romans 5, as we've seen that while we were enemies, Christ died for us, that when we were quite unacceptable because of our behavior, God accepted us anyway. And that we are to we find acceptance in God to so that He can take us to make us help us to be the people He wants us to be. We also can therefore should find acceptance with one another. And yet, whether we know it or not, when we're seeking connection and reconnection, we're not just looking for love and acceptance, but we're also looking for support. Because support is crucial for the development of healthy relationships with God and with each other. And so let's spend some time, if you'd like, today talking about support. Why uh, our need for support can be so difficult to recognize at times. uh, How God supports us and how we're supposed to support one another. Now, maybe when you hear that, that you need support, your immediate kicks our reactions. Well, no, I don't. It's a very natural reaction. And it's especially a natural reaction if you are an American. Because of the society and culture in which we live. But if we think about it for a second, throughout the generations, humans have been more successful when they cooperate with others and they function interdependently, needing each other than just independently on their own. It doesn't take you very long to notice that humans are very, quote-unquote, tribal in nature, social in nature, that they relate with other humans, that if you let humans be, they're going to create their own little units of a certain number, and they're going to take care of that unit, and they're going to grow in that unit. And it's very critical for survival. Uh, If there's only one person out there, or even just one nuclear family unit, so to speak, they will be in perennial danger, not just from other people and other tribes that might be bigger, but also from environmental factors. Um, it, it, if you're out on your own and it, you get injured, you're, you're easy pickings for a lion or something of that sort. Now, as human society developed and you get tribes and bigger tribes and bigger tribes and sub-tribes and all kinds of units like that, specialization developed as well because we recognize that as humans, we all were able to get more accomplished and be able to be more effective what we did when we didn't expect every single person to do every single job. That instead, uh, you might have a few people farm, and you had one or two will be a blacksmith and fix, uh, make up metal things, and you had uh, a couple other people who were maybe an army standing in defense. And so the idea is that all people have these different specialties, and that there would be some way that each would receive payment, for, for the skills they offered, and then they would pay in turn for the skills that other offered, uh, which led to the system of money that we had. And that when everybody was able to do this, everybody would be better off. And when you think about the benefits of, of tribes and societies and communities, this is especially good for the young, the elderly, or the injured. Because in a state of nature, uh, very unkind to young, elderly, infirm, or injured people. Because predators tend to go after those members of any given species. But 
uh, in a society, those people tend to exist by the goodwill and support of its other members. And so it shows those people are very dependent on society. The younger depend on their parents. Uh, sometimes the aged are dependent on others to take care of them. And we understand that it would be a terrible thing just to get rid of certain people just because of, of their condition like that. That instead that, we, that we're supposed to honor life and, uh, and to take care of each other. And so we can kind of see, I hope, that yes, working in society requires a level of interdependence, a level of trust in others. But societies like ours here in America promote this very big lie. You should be self-sufficient. This is often called the pick up yourself up by your own bootstraps mentality. And in fact, that's such a, a popular phrase that a lot of people think that's in the Bible. It actually does not go that far back at all. Uh, this, these things are self-sufficiently kind of grew out of the growth of America itself. Um, but it goes to show you just how deeply enmeshed it is in our society. You're supposed to pick up yourself up by your own bootstraps. Because a lot of people do this. They put a lot of stock in personal responsibility and self-sufficiency. And in such a perspective, if you're not living according to quote-unquote personal responsibility or self-sufficiency, you're a taker. You may be weak, irresponsible, or inconsistent with American values if you dare to assert that you might need the support of other people. Now, the results of this mentality are distressing. Because how many times, perhaps, have you experienced in life a time where you've gone through a lot of hardship? Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's financial. It may be emotional. And perhaps if you could talk to somebody or have somebody who was there for you, you could have really gotten through that a lot easier. But you're just afraid to ask. Or for some other reason, you were afraid to ask for assistance because you felt that it would make you seem that you were not self-sufficient, that you were weak. How many people right now are in that condition where they're experiencing a lot of pain and suffering and maybe even early death because they refuse to seek um, whatever assistance they might need? Financial assistance, maybe even medical assistance, things of that sort. How many times would there have been people in, in your life or in other lives, maybe you yourself are willing to help people in need? And, and there's so many who are willing to help, but there's this disconnect between those who need the help and those who are willing to provide the help because they don't know uh, who each other is and they don't know each other's condition and nothing gets done. Now, it'd just be easy just to blame America and all that thing for the whole human nature problem, uh, excuse me, America problem for the um, idea of self-sufficiency, but, it, but it's not just an American phenomenon. In fact, it goes back almost to the very beginning of humanity. In Genesis chapter 11, we're told the short interlude between the days of Noah and the days of Abraham, that all humanity gathers on the plain of Shinar, which is now called Babylon, and there they start building bricks. And they say in verse 4 of chapter 11 to themselves, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. That's the Tower of Babel, and it was created as a demonstration of human power, human self-sufficiency to make a name for themselves. And we all, in our own ways, want to build our Tower of Babels. And as a society, we do a great job of building our Towers of Babel. And it's all to glorify the self. Now, why do so many people feel, want to feel so self-sufficient? Well, a lot of that, honestly, is pride. One of the things that comes forth out of a man in Mark 7, 21-23. Now, we want to make it clear... It's important to maintain a sense of dignity and integrity. Integrity is of a great character virtue. 
for a Christian. But a lot of times it's not really an issue of dignity or, or, or integrity that's at stake. It's just plain old pride. Because it's a lot easier to see yourself, isn't it, as the one who can give than it is to be the one who needs to receive. A lot easier to, be, to look at yourself as the one who's strong in control as opposed to the one who is weak going through difficulty and in need. And to get assistance is very hard for the ego to swallow. And, therefore, there's a lack of humility in, in some respects in this time. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 23, 12, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. How many of the problems that are associated with self-sufficiency, though, are really a matter of fear versus trust? Because if you need support, you've got to ask for it. There's got to be some demonstration that support is necessary. And that demands trust in the ones who we would like to get support from. And we're easily paralyzed by the fear of denial or rejection or humiliation or all three. And so there's a lot of reasons why it's easier to put on this facade of self-sufficiency and to try to muddle through life that way. But we've got to expose this big lie for what it is and what it does to people because none of us, no man or woman, is self-sufficient. To get here, we all had to have parents, two of them. And ideally, we were raised by two of them no matter how active they were in our lives. We needed the earth. If there was no planet to live on, there's nowhere we could live. And all along the way, if we're honest with ourselves, we've seen how people have helped us. Teachers help us to learn. Friends got us through some difficult days. Maybe an employer took compassion on us and gave us a job. Um, However we've reached the point that we've reached, somebody has been there to help us and get us through that. And unless you're in the position of knowing all things but all subjects, which is increasingly impossible with a greater diversity of knowledge, we all are now dependent on the knowledge and wisdom of other, and insights of others whose specialties are different from our own. We may not know everything involved in quantum physics or in chemistry or every uh, permutation of early medieval French history or the current uh, economic condition of sub-Saharan Africa or so on and so forth. But others spend more time in that and if we need to know something about that, we have to put some trust and confidence in the specialization and skills of others. And so on a very basic level, it's clear that we all are in need of support from others. And honestly, the depth of support that we require goes beyond any understanding that we could possibly have. Because the Bible makes it clear that all things are from God and exist because of Him. That, that God made us all from one person, and in Him we live and move and have our being in Acts 17 and verse 28. Same message, 1 Corinthians 8 and 6. And in Hebrews 1 and verse 3, that in fact... That through Jesus, all things are currently sustained and continue to exist. Therefore, we find ourselves completely and utterly dependent upon God. If God didn't make us in the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2, we don't have life. Without God, there is no redemption through the, Jesus. As we can see in John 3.16, Romans 5.6-11. And therefore, there would be no spiritual life as well. And beyond all this, we prove quite weak when we would try to stand before God. As God has said through Isaiah, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's thoughts higher than our thoughts, and His ways higher than our ways. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. 
And even set that aside for a second, our weakness is apparent, because all of us have sinned, and all of us fall short of the glory of God in Romans 3 and verse 23. We, we have no reason in ourselves to think that we deserve to stand before God. And therefore, whenever we find ourselves in moments of difficulty, distress, pain, or in any kind of suffering, it's natural to cry out to God. That's why the statement goes, there are no atheists in foxholes. The idea is that when distress has come upon somebody fiercely enough and strongly enough, the natural response is to cry out to the Creator. And so that's natural to do that. But a lot of times people do that and they'll blame and presume against God that He does not exist or care about them if He does not respond the way they expect Him to. Which is a very human way of looking at things, isn't it? That God becomes our uh, ultimate 911. That when everything else fails, we turn to Him. And then if He lets us down because He doesn't do things the way we expect them to be done, we feel disappointed. But all of that presumes that we are awesome. And that we deserve that kind of standing. But in reality, we are weak and fragile creatures. And here's the very unpleasant news. That God would be completely in the right if He just said, you know what? These humans, they are weak, they're sinful, they don't care, they keep turning their backs, they never can figure it out, and all that, when it doesn't go exactly their way, they blame me, I'm done with them, they can all go to hell. God could say that. And what are we going to do about it? We're all going to go to hell. In Titus, Ephesians 2, 1-3, through 3, in Titus 3, 3, we all deserve the sentence of hell. But it's because God loves us, and is patient toward us and is merciful and gracious, extravagantly so. It means that we continue to live. And that He has gone even beyond just allowing us to continue to live, but wants to be reconciled to uh, Him, to the point of giving of His Son the most precious thing, and is willing through Him to give us all things in Romans chapter 8, and continues to give us rain and nourishment and, and all the things that we need. In His love, He will support those who turn to him. Let's turn there and consider for a second in Romans chapter 8 some of the wonderful promises that, that God has made for us. Beginning in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is the condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is so beautiful, isn't it? He has given of His Son. Will He not give us all things? Well, do we deserve it? No, we don't deserve it. But it's because of God's extravagant love that He has given all these things to us. So God is faithful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, He provides the promise that God will not tempt us beyond what we are able, but with all things give us the way of escape that we can endure. And God is going to provide for us until the end. Matthew 6, verse 33, Jesus says to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things, food and drink and shelter, will be added to you. 
So therefore, we can trust in His support if we are willing to trust in His support. And that's the big thing. We can see in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, that comes after a passage in verse 1 through 12 where he's talked about Israel in the wilderness and how Israel in the wilderness was given many reasons to put their trust in God. He had delivered them with a powerful hand out of the hand of the Egyptians. He had provided them with food and drink and everything that they needed. But every single time that there was any form of distress, they doubted God. They wanted to go back to Egypt. And they grumbled and complained. They did not put their trust in God. And because they did not put their trust in God and was found disobedient, they died in the wilderness. And that's why Paul is telling Christians not to be like Israel. God is faithful. God has supported us, is supporting us, and will support us. Even if it's not exactly what you expect or exactly the way you'd like it to be. But we've got to trust in God and His support. So can we come to that understanding? we are completely dependent upon God. That we are weak, and therefore we are, should be humble before Him. And that we should trust Him, that He'll support us in our time of need. And beyond that, be thankful and gracious and glorify His name because of all that He has done for us. Now, there are many ways that God provides us. But one of the ways that He supports His people is through His own people. His people who support His people in the church. That Christians are to provide support for one another. In Romans 12, verse 10, Paul says, Outdo one another in showing honor. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25, talking about uh, the church as a body of Christ, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. In 1 Corinthians 12, 25 and 26. Likewise, in Galatians chapter 6, in verse 1, Paul says, If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. And in verse Peter that in humility we are to serve one another. So, Christians are to support one another. Now, that support might be financial. Acts 11, 30, we see a situation where a family is predicted in Judea, and so the, the Christians of the church of Antioch put together some support and send it down to Jerusalem at the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And in 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 16, Paul is talking to Timothy about taking care of widows who are widows indeed, those who have reached advantage have no other means of support that the church that should be supporting for their financial needs. That the Christians find themselves in situations where they're in financial needs or material resources, and fellow Christians, as individuals, and as a can and should certainly assist in those situations. Yet, even when that is necessary, there should be this ongoing, continual mental and spiritual sport that Christians give to one another. As we can see there in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, that every member of the body has care for each other. That when one rejoices, all rejoice. When one member weep, all weep. That there is this kind of shared experience of life in the community of God. So when members are successful or triumph, we should all glory in that. But when members go through trials and sicknesses and tragedies and disappointments and failures, we should mourn and weep with them and comfort them. 
this is a very fundamental part of, of, of being a Christian and living in the Christian life is when you share it in community, one of the reasons you share in community is because you have a mutual network of support. And that level of support is to be very strong. That so strong that you should be able to feel that in the church you've got people who will have your back and who will support you even if everybody else in your life falls away and no longer supports you. However, in order to support people, Christians must present themselves as able and willing to do so. Part of this whole reconnecting we've seen in, in, in previous conversations, the Christians should be fostering a loving and accepting environment in the church, where people feel op- comfortable opening up and sharing their struggles as well as their successes, because all of us have weaknesses, all of us have struggles, all of us have insecurities, fears, other emotional, mental, and spiritual challenges. So we all are messed up. We all got problems. The only question is, do we feel comfortable opening up and sharing with others in the church about these things? And people can only feel comfortable doing that when they are given reason to trust. People are looking. In church, they're seeing what's going on. They see that everybody's got this kind of superficial relationship thing going on where it's a very surface level that, you know, you see a church, hey, how are you doing? Good, good. How are you doing? Good. And that's the extent of their relationship and nobody's digging in. Uh, they're they're going to probably want to run. But even if they don't run, they're not going to feel comfortable really opening up in that kind of environment. Furthermore, people who do open up in that kind of group experience judgmentalism and condemnation as opposed to receiving acceptance and support, then their all trust is gone. I mean, you can see what happens. You open up, you get the finger pointed at you, you're done with that. You, you've been there, done that, you don't want that experience again. And trust is therefore severed. But this is a very interesting thing, that if we expect other people to open up so that we can support them, means that we also need to be more open and willing to receive support from others. Because if people are willing to see that you are willing to show them your weaknesses, and to talk about that in an open, honest way, and to seek each other's support, then they'll be more than willing to open up to you as well, because they recognize that you've put trust in them, and they'll, they can take the opportunity to put their trust in you. And that can become infectious, because if you open up to other people, they open up to you, they open up to each other, all of a sudden, everybody is able to open up to each other, and other people out in the world can see this and want to join in with that as well, because that is something that is very appealing to a lot of people, because we all have our problems, and we all are looking for support. No matter the environment, no matter all of this, this is all dependent upon people being willing to drop the big lie that they're self-sufficient and to receive support. Trusting people is hard. Because people fail us all the time. It's sad, but we should expect it. If you open up to people, some people are going to burn you. Any, everybody at some point is going to let you down, maybe but even maybe betray you. But that should be expected, right? Because haven't you done that to others? We've all done that at some point. We have broken somebody's trust. We betrayed people in some way or another. Now, in order for support to be given and be received, relationships must be developing among members of the church. They must become one with each other, as Jesus wants in John 17 and Philippians chapter 2. Now, those relationships can only develop when trust is present, and therefore we must work on trusting each other to be full of faith, not just toward God, but toward each other as well, knowing that whereas God will not ultimately disappoint, we will. We'll disappoint each other, because we all fail. And that's why we need to be convinced that the benefits that we receive from mutual support 
far exceed the pain and suffering caused by the occasional disappointment and failure. We've just got to come to grips with that reality. No amount of promises can somehow push it away or make it not happen. It's going to happen. There's going to be disappointment, but yet we still seek that support. And if we receive that support, it allows us to endure the times where we are let down and that we are failed. And this can only happen when we learn how to trust effectively. We live in a society, therefore we already maintain a basic level of trust in our fellow man that most people at least do not seek to harm us, that if nothing else, most people are for their own self-interest and if it doesn't, you know, that they're not going to actively seek my harm. Uh, if some do seek to harm us, we, that doesn't change the fact that we still need to function in society somehow unless we're all going to go live in, in, in the hills. We must all recognize that one of Satan's great weapons is alienation. Knowing that if we suffer and are in distress and in private and don't share that with anybody, we are more easily tempted to fall into sin uh, than if we actually receive the type of support that we need from fellow Christians and from others. Now, are we willing to put trust into each other to truly outdo one another in honor? Romans 12 and verse 10. Are we willing to dispense with pride, rivalries, judgmentalism so we can share in love, grace, mercy, compassion, and thus support? Can we come to grips with our humility, weakness, and dependence upon God and others? And if we find ourselves often in a mature position, at least in our heads, or in a position of helping others, are we willing to also realize that we need to be helped in turn and to receive in turn, or it doesn't work? That the system never works when you only have some givers and other receivers. That it's supposed to be this shared, mutual giving and receiving of support and other things. God has supported us despite our unworthiness because He has loved us. He has shown us grace and mercy. And that is why we need to support one another. And the environment where we should be able to find support, even when everybody else has abandoned us, is in God's people, the church. Because that's where people need to learn how to trust one another, comfortable enough to tell each other at least some of the difficulties they're going through with temptations and struggles, weaknesses and failures so they can receive support from fellow Christians. It should be a place where we all recognize we've all messed up, nobody's perfect, and that we're just all trying to do the best that we can to become better people and to help each other become better people. Because we recognize the people who receive that kind of support are able to provide that support as well. And those are people who can lead more fulfilled, satisfied, and honest lives. But if the church has an environment marked by superficiality and judgmentalism, that kind of trust cannot exist. The weaknesses cannot be confessed, pretense and hypocrisy is maintained, and people spiritually grow weak and die. That is why fostering a supportive environment is not, is not optional. It needs to be done. But it's also not easy. Because it demands that we bear one another's burdens. That means we need to make our burdens known to each other. And that our pretense towards strength and pride and and maturity, perhaps, and sufficiency must be dashed. But with God, as with each other, if we are willing to trust despite all available evidence, the blessings which come from such trust will outweigh the pain, misery, and suffering that will endure because people have let us down. So therefore, let us try to be the people of God, a group in whom we can trust to support each other, even if everybody else betrays or disappoints us, that's a true family where water, the joint baptism we have, is greater than blood or any other connection. Remembering that God is faithful. 
Let us be full of faith toward him and one another, to support one another, and to be reconciled and reconnected toward God and each other. We're so thankful that you've spent this time with us, and if we can be of any support to you, we'd love to do that. Maybe you have some things you'd like to talk about uh, in terms of the lesson, or you just need a prayer, prayers because of situations you're going through. You just need somebody to listen. That's why we're here. Please contact me through my website, deverbovitae.com, www.deverbovitae.com. And if you live in the Los Angeles area or traveling area, we'd love for you to come visit us and, and, and join with us. Or check us out online at venicechurchofchrist.org. We can also be found on Facebook, Google+, Meetup, and Twitter. We again thank you. Have a great day.